You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. Super mega awesome episode 50! Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And introducing... Deffy the Dwarf! Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We are your hosts. My name is Chelsea Robson. We also have Morgan Stradling and Mason Smith. We are just a bunch of friends. We get together every every other week, just kind of discussing a movie within the animation medium. And we just have a lot of fun doing it. Um, This week is a very, 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 very special week for us. This is our 50th episode. Yay! The big 5-0. Hey, 50 is a big number. 50th episode. Who would have thought? It's been a long while. It's been like a year and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit over. That's pretty impressive because many podcasts don't make it past the first few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the thing that like there hasn't been any like major fights or quarrels or anything like that is pretty impressive. Like <laughs> no, no band breakups. At, at least none that you know about, Chelsea. I could be uh, harboring no some feelings. <laughs> no, Don't. no scandals. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. We haven't let the fame get to us. <laughs> so this is a big oh, yeah. episode, and so we decided since it was such a you know momentous occasion that we needed to do something pretty substantial. I mean, this, we're not doing any. We ain't, we ain't doing and no swamp princess okay we gotta do yeah no no secret of the wings here come on <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with those those are some of my favorite episodes okay step off okay <laughs> whoa whoa <laughs> you spoke too soon now chelsea. there's gonna be a, now there's gonna be a few just a scandal <laughs> chelsea leaves the podcast over secret of the wings debate okay for our new co-host mason remains defiant talks of forming own podcast <laughs> Well, you know all our secrets, so. <laughs> time warp, still debatable. Mason, or time vortex. Mason leaves with the rights to the time vortex. Rotoscopers no longer allowed to use the phrase. <laughs> no longer to use term time vortex. <laughs> oh, God, good times, good times. We've had some good times, must admit. That's awesome. Speaking of which, no. I led you into I, that perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> I am starting the editing for our best of 2013 episode. It's a haunted one, apparently. Hey, it's October already, and we decided not to do a Halloween podcast episode today, so I get to be spooky. All right. Well, so that means that this is for all of those people who have been our faithful fans over the past 50 episodes. and Faithful 50 fans. Yes. yes. <laughs> there are only 50 of you, so, you know. So I'm. if you guys remember from last year, I did a Best of 2012, which kind of had a huge conglomeration of all the different fun fanciful wonderful time we've had mason what was your favorite part of last year's best of episode um let's see we had some really good voicemails from our fans yes uh, and uh the one laugh at me forgetting the when uh, when i got the budget wrong for rockadoodle yeah it only grossed twelve hundred dollars <laughs> or something like that oh and, uh, oh it was good but um what i like is uh when when our fans their voicemails that's uh that's what I like. I like to connect with them and great to, to hear their voice on the uh, their opinions and commentaries and to have them be part of the show, definitely. 
Yeah, so this year is not going to be just as good. I am so excited to hear from you guys, all our fans in their voicemails. So you can start sending those voicemails right now. I'm actually, the more prompt, the more appreciated, um, because it's a really long time to edit this one together. But if you guys start now, then I will love all the more. Yay! Yeah, kudos to um, Chelsea, our master of sound and all things sound-related. Chelsea, you're a soundbender. That's what I'm going to call you. If you were a Legend of Korra <laughs> character, you would have the power. Well, I guess this is like a form of airbending, but you're a soundbender. It Sweet. works. <laughs> wow. So this episode, this uh, best of episode is going to, you know, obviously it's going to contain your favorite clips and quotes and bloopers. So send us those, send us the timestamps. You can either send it, you know, in an email saying, hey, these are my favorite epi- things. We may not read those. We'll just probably include them. Um, but then if you have a voicemail where you really want to talk about why certain parts are your favorite, send us a voicemail at rotoscopers.com slash voicemail. And that way you can assure you get on the show and especially that your top moments get on the show. And also this one's going to be a little different as well because we're also going to do a kind of an award show you know the rotoscopers animation awards right chelsea yes morgan this is very right it was brought to my attention by one of our fantastic writers to the show max his idea was that we do a best of like award show like morgan was saying and so that's what we're going to do posting i mean it'll have awards like best animated show of the year best random sidekick you know fun things like that so that voting will actually get started the very first of december so start thinking about what you guys like but until then let's just get on those voicemails get them over here Mm -hmm. let's go okay i have one more thing for everybody so the podcast awards are coming up and nominations are open right now and we actually need your help to be nominated so last year we were unable to be nominated because you had to have had your first episode out by january 1st 2012 uh the beginning of the year and ours didn't come out till February, so we just barely missed it last year. But this year, we definitely think we are ready. We have been out for over a year and a half. We've loved doing our episodes. We're now on our 50th. And so we need your help to be nominated. So all you have to do is go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast awards. And what you're going to do there, it's going to give you all the directions on how to vote. Basically, we're being nominated in two categories. That's the ones that we want you to nominate us in. People's Choice and then also Best TV and Film. So basically what happens is these are going to be open until October 15th. And so definitely if you haven't voted yet, go stop everything right now. Go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast awards and give us a vote. After the 15th, there's going to be a panel of about 40 people. They're going to look through all the top submissions and listen to their episodes. So it's not just going to be a popularity contest. They're actually going to listen to the content and say, yes, this definitely deserves to be here. Then in November, the nominees will be announced and then voting will begin. So that's really, really exciting. It would be an honor even to just be nominated against so many great podcasts, but we need your help to do it. So again, just go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast awards and enter your vote. You can only vote one time. So don't think that you can go every single day and vote. You can only submit one ballot total. So if there are other podcasts that you want to nominate at the same time, make sure to have those ready for when you fill out your ballot for the other categories. And we really, really appreciate everyone who has already voted and who will vote. So fingers crossed. Let's go to Snow White. Okay, for our nerdy couch discussion today, it's going to be Chelsea. 
Kelsey and I, and we are going to be talking about Snow White, a history. Yay! Mason, he is on the bus getting ready to, uh, hurrying his way home so he can record this episode. So we're recording this part first, and he will join us later for the other segments. So if he's not here and you're wondering where the heck Mason go, Mason's on the bus. We've gone back in time. Yes. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to do this um, nerdy couch discussion was because I was really fascinated with the history of Snow White as I was reading and researching this movie. Um, the main research that I did as I was preparing, um, you know, most of the time people, they watch the movie, they watch some of the deleted scenes and bonus features, and they go online and they read different things. But um, whenever I have access to a book that is dedicated to that movie, I really like going to that because it's a huge resource of people who have definitely done their research. Um, and so I not only had one book, but I also had two that I was able to use in preparing for this movie. These are two books that were written by J.B. Kaufman. Last year, they came out in 2012. They were celebrating the 75th anniversary of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Really, really, really cool stuff. So the, the two books, they're very similar, um, but there's big differences. So the first one is called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the art and creation of Walt Disney's classic animated film. And the other one is called The Fairest One of All, the making of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So very, very similar. They're both about the making of. But the first one, which is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, um, this is what I would compare to more of like a traditional art book that we see nowadays. It kind of shows like concept art and sketches. Um, but this certainly doesn't go too much into the history of the book. It just sort of shows the, per the process throughout. Um, there's a little section where it talks about the development of Snow White and her design. But for the most part, it's laid out chronologically based on the scenes as they go in the movie. Um, so you'll talk about, you know, they'll introduce the queen and the, the mirror and then they'll go on to the next scene. And so there'll be different concept pieces and art and he discusses um, what made it into the film, what was cut from the film, um, different variations through each scene. So you're able to learn as you're reading and it's kind of like you're watching the movie at the same time. So that was that one. And then the other one, the fairest one of all, this is the one that really got me excited to do this nerdy couch discussion because this one is yes, it has some of the same concept art, but it's not just to showcase the concept art. It really is like a book. There's a lot of reading in this one, just pages and pages and pages of small text. The other one didn't, not so much. It was more like visual, so you could look and see. So Ferris, one of all, this details basically, like it says, the making of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from the very beginning. Like the beginning of the Snow White story is where they start. And I thought that was really cool because they don't just start like the other book that says, hey, in 1933, Walt had an idea to make Snow White. <laughs> So, um, so I wanted to share all this with you guys because I thought it was completely interesting, fascinating, relevant, and definitely something that helps us better understand how Walt came to his version of Snow White based on these other versions that had been released over the years. This is probably going to be the only place you're going to hear audio of these books being quoted, too, because I looked at those when I was at your house back way back when, and they were pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, a lot of work went into these books, and I'm grateful that I was able to get these copies. If you want to get these copies, you know, maybe you're interested after me just talking about just that or after listening to this or maybe you're just like a film buff and you want to have this um, you can use our amazon link to purchase these books and it helps support the podcast go to rotoscopers.com amazon and then you can search for these books and we'll also have links to the books and you know amazon links in the show notes to make it even easier for you but i definitely i'm so happy that i have this as part of my collection because snow white and the seven dwarfs is definitely one of like the pinnacle great films of filmmaking in general not just animation 
animation. And to have this resource, I mean, both of them are around a little under 300 pages each. The one, um, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, that one's 300 pages with, you know, pages and pages of just art. Um, so reading-wise, I was able to finish it in about an hour or two. But the other one is 300 pages of small fine print reading, which is really, really awesome. So you'll definitely get to deep dive down there. Um, okay, so let's let's just go into it because this was absolutely fascinating to me. So, you know, in very very much a Harry Potter vein, we are going to talk about Snow White, a history. Okay, so in Ferris One of All, it starts and it talks about the origins of the Snow White story. Basically, I mean, a lot of people attribute Snow White to Grimm's brothers and their fairy tales where they, in 1812, they made this, you know, compilation of fairy tales. But actually, Snow White was a very common German fairy tale up until this point. And, um, you know, even back in the 1600s, there was a version of Snow White. Um, it was actually called, I don't speak Italian, but La Chiovatella. And it was basically a story of this young slave girl who's a young orphan. Um, her life is cut short by this witch and she dies, but then she's like brought back from the grave and she has to live with her like evil aunt who like torments her and who's bitterly jealous of her. And so that's kind of like one of the main like first iterations of the story. Like it's very different from what we see now as Snow White, but you can see little elements there's the bitter relative <laughs> and, um, you know, jealous of this younger person. And right. so, so over years, this was able to grow and, and develop a bit more. Um, it definitely became popularized in the German fairy tale um, culture. And so when the Grimm brothers came around, they, they kind of considered themselves um, scholars. And they were charged with the task of preserving their cultural history of their native Germany. Like they really wanted this to encapsulate that so all other people could come together. They could read these books. They could understand Germany and its folklore at this period of time. I'm grateful for they did because, I mean, many, many, many of the fairy tales that movies are based on today and that are still told to children today are based on these initial versions of Grimm's fairy tales. If only they would have gotten royalties. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that the uh, copyright period is, you know, over. It's usually about 75 years. But even then, yeah. <laughs> it was a different uh, world. <laughs> Um, so let's start with the Grimm's Brothers. So in 1812, they published their first volume. It, it, in English, it translates to Children's and Household Tales, um, in which Snow White was a part. And it was called Sneewitchen. Now, I don't know if that's the proper German pronunciation, but that's how I'm going to say it, Sneewitchen. And that basically translated to um, Snow White uh, in English. Some people called it Snowdrop. Um, but so, okay, so the story here, this is kind of where they introduce it. It's just, it's rather short compared to a lot of the films that came out and definitely Snow, um, you know, there were other plays that were using Snow White Feud in the Future. And so I'm just going to like mention a few of these things that became the standard. Uh, no, no. So I'm just going to mention a few things in their version that definitely became the standard here on out. Um, so, you know, they had seven dwarfs, um, but they didn't have names. And the reason there were seven, because seven represents fullness or completeness. So, you know, you think of Harry Potter with the seven horcruxes, and seven is a very, very, um, you know, mystical number in a way, and, and that was the reason. So the poison apple was also, you know, prevalent, but in this case, she didn't digest, digest it. <laughs> she didn't. But in this case, she didn't ingest the apple. It just sort of got lodged and stuck in her throat. And then, you know, she coughed it up at one point or was able to get dislodged. And then she came back alive. So she didn't fully die. It was just kind of like stuck in there and kind of put her in this half dead, half not state. <laughs> So that's something a little interesting. Um, in this version, you know, there obviously is the poison comb, which is one of the mechanisms that uh, the witch tries to use to lure Snow White. And, you know, she wants Snow White to brush her hair with it and, and whatnot, and it, it doesn't end up working. 
And so eventually the one that actually does work is the poison apple. Um, so they kind of revo revised their story over the years and added different elements. And in, in one of the revisions, um, they, they came to show a little bit more about Snow White's backstory, specifically that her mother had died, the father remarried, and now there was this villainous stepmother in the scene. And so that became very prevalent and part of the story that we kind of got to see. Um, yeah, so this was the, you know, this is definitely the standard story, which which everything else sprung from. Um, and since they were kind of the ones able to put this together in this in this form and in this novel, uh, you know, everyone else always referred back to that when creating other versions, of course, even uh, Walt Disney himself. So after this, um, you know, movies weren't around quite yet in the in the late 19th and early 20th century. So there were plays. And so uh, a few decades later, there was a play by Carl. August Gorner, and it was called Sneewitchen Undai Seiben Jerk. Uh, again, don't speak German, but I can if you want. This was released in 1856, and you know, since since um, Grimm's fairy tale, since their story was so simple, it wouldn't be able to hold the interest of an audience for an evening for a play, so he definitely expanded it out a little bit more, flushed out some of the characters and the plot lines. Um, it was a very somber story. Um, this was in Germany, obviously, and you know, plays, especially fairy tales, they weren't really considered for kids. They definitely, um, they were there to show and to represent this dark and dangerous world to kind of show uh, morals and different things that you could learn from. And so his story was faithful to the Grimm's version. You know, it had the wicked stepmother who was jealous, the huntsman who eventually gives Snow White mercy, you know, Snow White fleeing to the for to the forest and finding the cottage by the dwarfs, um, you know, the queen always going to this mirror and asking questions, and then, you know, the poison comb and apple, those were still there. But a few differences in this version. And, and the reason I'm telling all these different versions is because I want you to see how the story progressed over the years and how different elements that were really important in the early versions, you know, just went by the wayside and how just one author, one writer decided, hey, let's add this point, and it stuck. So in this one, um, you know, the queen wanted Snow White's tongue. Other versions, she uh, wanted her lungs or liver. So the heart wasn't quite there yet. <laughs> uh, the husband had a name. Uh, it was Berthold, Berthold, Berthold. And uh, in this one, this is really important. The prince, he's introduced in the first act. So before the prince wasn't really around, wasn't there, but here he's introduced and he becomes not crucial to the story, but a part of the story very early on. Um, he's traveling incognito, just in disguise because he's looking for a wife and he wants to be able to discern a true, and he wants to be able to discern the true heart of those he meets. So that way people won't be woe, that way people won't be wowed by him because he's a prince, you know, and say, marry me. But instead, Said, you know, he'll be able to see who their true character is in disguise. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it's very like um, Arrested Development, maybe. You know, that's her like go-to line when she wants to divert the issue. Just oh, marry yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I also see Anastasia and Drizella having that sort of attitude. It's like, oh, you're the prince. That's all that matters. So, <laughs> you know, the prince, he was smart. He knew. He knew. Um, in this version, he has a buddy named Otto who he travels with. And I sort of imagine this kind of being a LeFou type character just kind of the comical relief. He's kind of a shorter guy and the prince is tall and strapping. Um, so anyways, the prince meets Snow White in this first act and he says, oh, you're going to be my wife. You know, we'll get married in the morning. And <laughs> so he leaves to tell his father that he's met his wife. And so that's kind of leaves a convenient uh, absence for the whole, you know, remainder of the play. But it also gives him a reason to come back, which in Walt Disney's version isn't really explained. Like he just comes, he sings, he leaves, he comes back, you know, and that's it. So we dance, we kiss, we smooth, we carry on. <laughs> <laughs> we all go home happy. <laughs> um, so I really liked that, that this was introduced because it gave the prince a reason. Um, and we 
later find this kind of sticks. So in this version, the mirror is a handheld mirror. <laughs> handheld. <laughs> Ah, Beauty and the Beast. Yes. So, um, so you know, this allows the, the mirror to be very mobile. The queen can stick it in her pocket and just sort of go from there and consult it when she's, you know, on the move, you know, and show me the girl. <laughs> and then this mirror gets smashed in the last act. Um, we don't really see what happens to the mirror in other in uh, Walt Disney's version. And this is my favorite, okay? I just got to love, I love the way that the queen dies. She has these red hot iron shoes that she's punished to wear. So imagine like these shoes that are red hot, they're made of iron, they're practically on fire without having fire, and she has to stick her feet in them and dance. Um, yeah, uh, but unfortunately, but I guess maybe fortunately, Snow White, she's merciful and she saves the queen from having to live this you know, unfortunate circumstance. And lastly, in this version, the dwarfs, they get names. So before they were just, it didn't really matter who they were, they were just sort of there. Um, but now they have names and personalities. It's Blick, Pick, Schick, Strick, Rick, etc., etc., etc. And um, yeah, they definitely the reiteration of the Ick name. Um, you know, Blick is the leader. He's headstrong. They all have these different personalities, which is important in the play because you needed to kind of develop these characters a bit so you cared. Um, so that is the 1856 version. Um, later, so let's let's go about 50 years in the future. There's another prominent version called Snow White. It was pub- it was released in 1905 by a children's theater. The writer. Is is named Marguerite Merrington, and she based her her script on Gorner's script. Um, so this was a children's theater for children. So the purpose was to educate children and to help them learn, and then to do plays that children would be interested in. So since uh, Gorner's version was so dark and heavy, she definitely lightened it up a bit. There was a lot more comedy and funny jokes. Um, but she also, I mean, today this wouldn't seem very you know kid like, but it, it was she changed the dialogue so it was very Shakespearean. Um, and so it was thou and thee and just this inverted word structure that, you know, is a bit convoluted at times. But this was a children's theater and that was the majority of plays. You know, Shakespearean plays are still popular today, even more popular back then. Um, so they wanted to teach the children to understand and speak in this way. Um, you know, there's still the similarities, you know, the tongue, the huntsman still had a name, the dwarves were still there, the mirror, prince coming at the beginning, you know, and the hot shoes. <laughs> Forget hot pants, we have hot shoes. Um, but there are significant differences, mostly that, um, the prince and Snow White, they meet, but then afterwards they have a formal dance. So it's not just this quick one-off situation. I mean, they really get to know each other, you know, Hey, you get to dance with your prince. That's big. Okay. Um, and there's a lot more music in this version. So this is another one of these instances where the Snow White story made an impact on future versions. Um, about, about seven years later in 1912, there was another version instead of just Snow White, it was called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, this was produced by a theater called Little Theater by Winthrop Ames, or it might be Amos. Um, and the reason this was called Little Theater, because it was literally a little theater. It only had about 500 seats, which was significantly smaller for theaters at the time. Reminds me a bit of the Don Bluth front row theater type of experience, or maybe Hale Center Theater, which is kind of a local theater here in Arizona. Um, definitely a more intimate environment. But this was a professional Broadway version of the story. You know, so it wasn't just like a bunch of kids getting together anymore. It was serious. It was big time. And um, it was based on the 1905, you know, play by Marguerite Merrington. And it was very popular. I mean, it, they this show had runs forever. It always, it kept reviving, you know, even 10, 20 years later, it was incredibly popular. And obviously, I mean, it was kind of on the main stage at the time in New York. The Shakespeare dialogue was done away with. Uh, no, let's make this a bit more contemporary and understandable. In this one, there was the introduction of the, the dwarfs having the messy house, you know, before they were always very tidy housekeepers. Um, but not in this instance, they kind of introduced another layer that they were actually really dirty and they were filthy. And 
and you know, didn't treat their house very well and weren't good stewards. And it creates another element for Snow White to come in and sort of help the youngest dwarf. His name was Kui. Um, and then this was also the introduction of Snow White as a kitchen drudge, meaning like a scullery maid or she had to do the hard labor before. I mean, there was there was kind of the notion that she was a servant in a way, but it was rarely talked about. I mean, it was just sort of the queen didn't like her and that was it. So the, in this version is where they really introduced her that she, the queen, had put her into this, uh, you know, servant role, which plays well with the fact that now the the dwarfs are actually pretty messy. And so she can use her skills to help help them, you know, and to win their hearts in a way. You know, yeah. So this was this kind of brought another parallel to Cinderella, which was another Grimm's fairy tale. Uh, Cinderella had always been a maid and she'd always been a servant in her own house. And so there's a parallel between Cinderella in this. I, whether it was explicitly done or not because of Cinderella, it, it is what it is and it worked. So those are the play versions. And I just want to talk maybe about um, just kind of the main movie that that was involved. And so this came uh, four years later in 1916. It was done by Paramount. It was a silent film, uh, you know, black and white, obviously. Very, very, very popular. Um, it was done by a company called Famous Players Film Company. Their slogan was famous players in famous plays, <laughs> which makes me really funny. Basically, what it was is they would take famous, <laughs> famous actors who had been in plays and then they would transplant them into kind of the same role, but on, on film. So <laughs> famous players in famous plays. <laughs> what a slogan. What a dish. What a doll. And this was one that really inspired Walt. Uh, they, the historians, they don't really know if Walt saw some of these other versions of the plays. Considering he was born in, you know, early 1900s, it most unlikely that maybe he saw some of the play from 1905 in New York. I, not going to happen. But um, because these all influenced each other you know some of those characteristics from those early plays were in this version and this was the version he saw and he had an interesting quote that says my impression of this picture stayed with me throughout the years and i know it played a big part in my selecting snow white for my feature so um you know very important to him so just slight differences in this one you know in this one the witch and the queen were two separate characters so the witch was sort of this like henchman of the queen uh, she had a little bit of power over the queen and was able to do the queen bidding i don't believe this was introduced in this movie but um I couldn't find in the book which play it was interested in, but there's the element that there's this little brown bird who, um, you know, when she has to flee, when Snow White has to flee, this bird comes and like shows her the way. And this was introduced in one of the plays and definitely played a, a big role here. Um, as we see in, in Walt's version, animals are a big part in leading and guiding Snow White and ultimately helping her saved. And it's really funny. It, I was looking at some stills of this little brown bird. Um, this movie was actually lost for a long time. No one had record of it, so they couldn't really i mean they could only base things off of what people had said or written they couldn't watch the film themselves but then there was a collector in europe who had a print and then you know allowed it to be restored and and then people were able to look at this and actually watch the film what really really funny was the fact that this brown bird this is not relevant to the story of snow white but it was actually a little parrot <laughs> you know they were creative in in 1916 <laughs> <laughs> So, um, again, you know, there's more, there's more similarities to Cinderella in this one where she's the maid. Uh, there's also one point where she slips away in the middle of the movie and she goes to the ball to meet a prince. A bit unusual. That obviously didn't stick in Walt's version, but it is a version nonetheless. That's how every Disney movie should go. So I don't know why he didn't put it in there. 
excuse me, I need to stop doing my chores so I can go find the prince at the ball and, and dance with him. I'll be right back, though. I'll get to the dishes. Trust me. You just got lost in this forest and you had animals have to lead you, you and, but suddenly you know where the ball is? Okay. So, okay, the last version is Fleischer's version. Fleischer was the animation studio that was kind of a rival of Disney at the time. Um, they did Betty Boop. Um, Betty Boop, obviously, is still their most prominent uh, franchise today, which is really funny because, like, that's all you need in life. If you just own the rights to Betty Boop, you're doing okay. <laughs> but in this version, Betty Boop was the Snow White character, and it, it didn't really follow, like, any real plot. I mean, she kind of went into this dream world sequence, and then, you know, Coco the Clown made an appearance, and then she went into this fantasy. It just it just didn't make sense. It was very Fleischer. Um, there weren't really very many things that were taken from this version and uh, applied into Walt Disney's version, but it, it, it was a prominent version nonetheless. So those are sort of the main versions that modified and tweaked and, and helped develop Snow White to become the Snow White that we know it today. And, and arguably, Walt Disney's version is the most famous and well-known version of the story. Um, so it's just interesting to me to see how, even before his version came around, this story and this fairy tale was being tweaked and modified and changed, ultimately where Walt would change it even more. But yeah, so that's what I learned as I was reading. Basically, that was the first two chapters of the book. And there are so many more chapters. That was basically the first 20 pages, and this book is 300 pages. So if you liked kind of me sharing these things and you want to learn more and really get in the nitty-gritty detail in this interview, I would check out the book. I would highly recommend for one of all. I guess this is maybe like my mini, mini review of the book. I did give it five stars. You can read my review in the show notes. I'll link to both my reviews of both those books. Both are five-star books, in my opinion. They're different. One's a bit more narrative. The other one's a bit more visual, but definitely keepers, in my opinion. So Also, Morgan will be doing videos on these on YouTube, so check those out as well. I will. Yes, I will. Thank you for <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> so what are your thoughts, Chelsea? I know I was this is kind of, kind of just the Morgan show for the past 10 minutes. But I mean, what are your thoughts on kind of this origin or what interested you as you were listening? You know, some of the most interesting parts about it were, uh, you know, how the similarities, it, the stories just had to like Cinderella. And it's probably just because like that was a very common theme, I guess, at that time period with the Grimm's brothers. But at the same time, I'm really glad that Walt Disney changed both of these storylines enough so that they were very separate and so that he could kind of separate the two between Cinderella and Snow White, you know? Yeah, definitely. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is more than a great picture. It's a thrilling experience and happiness. It's color, music, laughter, and romance all wrapped up in sunshine to make your heart sing. Adorable Snow White, warm, human, waiting for her Prince Charming. The Seven Dwarfs, pompous Doc, the self-appointed leader. Bashful, who is afraid of the girls. Here is sneezing. This is old, droopy-eyed Sleepy. And Grumpy, who thinks he's a confirmed woman-hater. And there is Happy with his beaming smile. And last but not least, wonderful, silly Dopey. You'll never forget them or stop loving them.
What up? Hey, hey. hey, hey. So we just had a lovely discussion <laughs> about Snow White. Oh, yeah? It wasn't much of a discussion, but it was good learning. I gave you opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I... <laughs> was, it a good, was it a good lecture? <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I'm just saying. I was like, oh, this is all good to know. Good, good. Right. So for our 50th episode, we're going to do a super classic. This is pretty much... Pretty much for all the the first ani- like experiments and the animation feature film, it all kind of came together in this one film, and that is Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I feel like I should be the guy on the VHS as previews who's like, you know, Disney classics version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Out of the vault. Hi ho. Hi ho. Hi ho. Hi ho. That was totally one of the trailers. Hi <laughs> ho. It really was. Hi ho. Hi ho. It's your favorite Disney movie of all time. Hi ho. It's the one you've been waiting for. Hi and now, it's finally coming to home video. Walt Disney's masterpiece, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Have you ever seen, like, a, one of those twisted trailers, you know, where they take, like, Mary Poppins and turn it into scary Poppins? You know, they re-edit it to be, like, a horror film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this could be, like, a Tommy Knocker kind of thing where they're, like, evil dwarfs. Oh, please anyway, do that, well, well, I have I have many ideas for a Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs sequel. One of them is Snow White and the Eight Dwarfs. Yes, that's right, folks. Add another dwarf. You have a virtually limitless supply of sequels if you just keep adding a dwarf every sequel. Well, there you go. I know. But, uh, why, aren't I, why aren't I working for Disney? Yeah, but you know, you missed in my nerdy couch discussion, seven ah. represents fullness or completeness. So why would you add to something that is already complete? Ah, you know, thank you, my son. Yes, but Confucius say only seven eggs does not make <laughs> dozen. <laughs> ah, that's the land before time philosophy. I went to college. <laughs> I went to college, okay? I, I concede. That's my uh, SpongeBob quote of the day. I went to college. So anyway. we talked a little bit about the history of the Snow White origin story in the Nerdy Couch discussion. So let's just pick up right where Walt took this. Basically, uh, okay. um, the development sequence. So he started having ideas for Snow White originally back in 1933. I've got my uh, my uh, hardcover version of Illusion, The Illusion of Life with me as well as my my uh disney a to z encyclopedia and so i am i'm ready to go ready to have a literary discussion here (laughs) so this movie uh he started having ideas for it in 1933 it was released you know december 1937 um and basically you know he we talk about all those different versions of the Grimm's version and the plays and the movies and he expanded certain characters but he also stripped back a lot of stuff um this is definitely um simpler um a lot of other extraneous characters and plot devices were gone. I mean, they don't talk about Snow White's birth and, and the death of her mother and how her father remarries or, you know, they don't even really go into that. It just starts where, you know, Snow White is in servitude. So um, that was interesting, I guess. Here's something that I just found interesting. As you said, it like Disney originally had the concept to make this in 1933. And I just think in that moment, 
it just started that one decision, that one concept of I'm just going to create this one movie then turns into this huge, long le- legacy, which I just I find that so amazing and awesome. Yay. <laughs> so as I was reading kind of what I'm going to refer to as the Snow White art book, um, they mm-hmm. spend a little time talking about the origin of Snow White. And originally she was a lot more cartoony. Um, she, it was just really funny to go back and see. I mean, it definitely looked kind of like the Fleischer cartoons and, and they even brought in, um, the, the guy who designed Betty Boop, Grim Natwick to help yeah. design and animate the, the character of Snow White. And so from the very beginning, these early concept sketches, it's like, it's not really like a step forward, which Snow White really was. These early designs, it's just like, oh, you're just doing what everyone else is doing. You're doing what's popular at the time, which are sort of these big eyes, your really pointy chin, you know, very Betty Boop-like features. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad they didn't go that way. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the, the Silly Symphony uh, put out Goddess of Spring uh, mm-hmm. earlier, and uh, boy, that, the, that chick, boy, she was just the precursor to Adventure Time. I mean, she had rubber arms, you know, very, you know, just kind of bending and, and, and wobbling around, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, not not realistic enough. Yeah, and the thing is they because did... Because as, as, we'll, as we'll discuss, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, they did that. They, they kind of did this Goddess of Spring, and it was kind of their first foray into human characters that were lifelike. Like, and it just didn't work for them at all. I mean, it, like you said, it just wasn't realistic and convincing. She just was dancing and her arms are flubbery. Um, and so that was kind of their test and they didn't like the way that went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they, it was kind of this weird balance because uh, rotoscoping, the, uh, the, you know, where you actually trace live action footage to get your animation, as we've gone over time and time again. What Disney really got right early on was, if you will, if you don't mind my academic conjecture here, is they used live action reference uh, for a reference. They didn't exactly straight rotoscope it all the time. Yeah, because they found with rotoscoping that it kind of gave this like eerie, you know, stilted quality. It was just like too stiff to, you know, there wasn't any art put into the performance. It was just a straight copy. And so by saying, no, we're not going to do that, we're going to shoot this so we can understand the nuances of the human character that maybe most people don't realize when they think about it. You know, when you're dancing, the twist of an ankle, you know, the, the, the angle of a shoulder when you're turned sideways. I mean, just different things like that so they could make sure that it looked right and then they could add on top of that their artistic performance. And it worked fantastically, I think. Yeah, exactly. So who is the animation team for the for this film? So, okay, as I was saying with Snow White, I mean, she went through a lot of iterations. She was blonde. She was redhead. And it just seems bizarre to me that they were even really considering those options because the very beginning is lips red as the rose, uh, right, right. hair black as night. So it just seemed weird that they were even considering kind of going in a different version that she wasn't going to have these very typical Snow White uh, features. But so they ended up sticking with black haired Snow White, which I'm grateful for because there aren't that many her- uh, heroines and princesses with black hair. Um, and so just I'm not going to talk about who animated every character, but I thought it was interesting that she had two main animators and they sort of focused on different things um, for Snow White. So Hamilton Ham Lush uh, or Lusk. Um, he handled kind of close-up shots where you really got to see her eyes in full detail and her characteristics. And then as we talked about Grim Natwick, who is the, the guy who developed Betty Boop, he did shots that were far away, you know, the body shots. He was really known for his prowess with the female form. And so he yeah. got to use that anytime the whole female form was in the picture, he handled that. And together they worked together and, and had a really nice balance. Um, there are differences in their animation. You know, one of the animators was more online with what Walt envisioned her, where she was more innocent, 
Um, and the other, she was more kind of hot-headed. Not, not hot-headed, but, I mean, apparently, if you look very closely, you can see that her, even her personality is different based on who animated her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, there, just so you know, here's a little factoid. There is a person who is regarded as the third independent Snow White specialist, and that is Jack Campbell. He was under Ham's team, and so he eventually got so good that he could just animate scenes by himself without having to, you know, get the keyframes and, and go from there. So, pretty cool. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, there were a lot of legends who worked on this film. Um, I was flipping through The Illusion of Life. There was uh, Fred Moore, who's named a Disney legend in 1995. This is, of course, after his death in 1952. Uh, he's noted for, well, he started with uh, doing the, the pigs with Three Little Pigs, and he was a directing animator for uh, most of the features from Snow White to Peter Pan. And so he's noted for his work on the dwarves, but he also was a, a fantastic drawer of uh, the female form and stuff. He had his Fred Moore girly drawings and. <laughs> Uh, so there, actually, if you read the book, you'll know what I mean. But anyway, um, so yeah, this is a big deal. I mean, like you got to hand it to Walt for having the wisdom of picking a good design and, you know, that whole team for figuring out, I guess not groundbreaking techniques, but making them all work in one film. Mm-hmm. The animation itself, if you really study it, like for 1937, it's pretty spectacular. Like look at the range of motion and the different, you know, how many feelings and emotions you can get in one shot in this film. And it's very strong animation yeah that's like um i was talking in the nerdy couch discussion fleischer studios did a version of snow white and the seven dwarves and it had betty boop as the main character and they thought they were all that when they put that out and you know people were like oh this is so exciting and you watch it now and you're like oh no like that was i i guess that was great (laughs) at the time but you know and then snow white came out a few years later and it was just like ka-chunk like everyone's jaws dropped they realized okay what we were doing does not even like pale in in comparison to what walt was doing and then everyone had to step up their game from there because he put out this masterpiece yeah totally masterpiece is a great way to put it they achieved a, uh, they achieved a good balance the animation like well they, they did achieve lifelike animation because they shot with models uh, i believe they used a dancer as the live action model marjorie belcher she was a dancer and she was kind of the main we talked about how they they used reference footage for snow white and and you look and I, at looking at that art book, very much the live action footage and what they ended up animating, very, very, very similar. So she definitely played a big part in Snow White's personality and movements. She was also at Destination D when Morgan and I went out there uh, last year, it was. Um, so, yeah, a year ago it was. Um, you can hear a little bit more about what we said about that in that episode. I, th- I believe it's 18. But she was so cute. I mean, she came out. I mean, you had all these different people come out, and they were all kind of older. Not kind of. They were older. <laughs> and, like, a lot of them were just kind of, like, being helped by somebody else. And this woman comes out. She is 90 years old. She's walking <laughs> She's walking out on the stage as if the clock never turned you know she's just like just strutting herself come out sit down like as if nothing has happened she's definitely been in the dance studio ever since like she's that's always that's just what she's done and like she was super cute too like her personality was very fun awesome um my final note on the animation was uh you know reading up on in the life um Thomas and Johnston, they describe how the animators focused on getting in the characters' heads, not just trying to be like, okay, they're walking, now they're going to walk, we're going to do a walk cycle. More like, okay, they're walking, what are they thinking, you know, what are their motives, you know, uh, would they be prone to a trip, would they be prone to, you know, have a stutter step or something, I don't know. Um, the dwarves' animation is an example of very top-notch character animation. 
they were able to create different moods in each shot. Like when Snow White kisses Grumpy in, um, uh, spoiler alert, Snow White kisses Grumpy. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's all angry and he stomps off, but then he like slowly softens up and he's like, you know, gorge, you know, at the end, you know, and he's kind of swinging. They, they do a kind of a shot by thing in the book. Like it's like, it's really good stuff. Even if you look at uh, the Goddess of Spring, it's like the movement is it's just like one movement per shot. It's like, okay, turning my head, blinking, moving my mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that is called secondary motion when a character is doing something while doing something else. One of the 12 principles of animation uh, by Disney. And so this is good stuff. I, if I had the time to go like frame by frame through the whole film, it'd be kind of a cool, interesting thing to see. Well, now that it's on Blu-ray, you can own it, too. <laughs> Are you a spokeswoman that we don't know about? Yes, I'm promoting any possible merchandise relating to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you buy it through our sponsor link. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of the animation, obviously the animation was one of the pinnacles of this film. Um, one thing that I actually really enjoyed and set the precedent for Disney films in the future were the backgrounds. For a very, very long time, we saw backgrounds that looked very similar to Snow White and had sort of the same essence. They were romantic. They were light. They were done in watercolor and graphite. And looking through that book and then watching the film, I loved just looking at these backgrounds because they were just airy and light. And I loved it. Absolutely loved the background. Yeah. So. Not to mention you had the uh, painting camera uh, that went across a long painted background. Mm -hmm. And uh, oftentimes when they did that, they either had to work through perspective uh, within the same image or provide a, another perspective point in the same image. Uh, a good example is a hunchback and when they do that uh, layout shot of the of going above the cathedral and uh, and over the, the city. And so, yeah, like super, super talent here. And like, it was really kind of an above and beyond thing, but it was also a perfection thing. And so my hat goes off to these old animation teams. Well, now this one started the whole book opening thing. Ah, uh, yeah. You can point your finger at this one, which I'm not complaining because I think it's fantastic. <laughs> it was a great way to open this. The opening of the book really does set forth like, okay, now you're reading a story. So everything doesn't necessarily have to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it also, it also legitimizes Disney as the storyteller. Like once you see the book, it's like, oh, we're about to hear the legend of Snow White as told fairy tale. Do they know how much they cut out of the original fairy tale? No, but it, it legitimizes Disney as the tellers of Snow White. Mm-hmm. So did you know that this book is actually live action? I, I I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you think about it, it makes sense. But yeah, it's an actual book prop that was constructed. There was a, a letterist in the studio named Gordon Legg, and he, he designed the book. And it's live action shot of the book opening. And those are the only live action shots in the movie. So I guess you can't say this is 100% animated, but I mean, it is. Come on, it is. Nah, who cares? No one's going to no one's gonna argue that. <laughs> Unless it was some dude like YouTube comments. Actually, it's not fully animated. But anyway, yeah. So we're, we're introduced to the characters. There's not a lot of characters in this film. Really think about it. Mm -mm. Contrast it with Tangled, where you have like crowds of people. I, I don't know what kind of kingdom this is, really. There's no people around. Yeah, but it's I just, think... It's just, it's just Snow White... Snow White, we don't know if she's related to the evil queen. And uh, you've got uh, the queen, the huntsman. Um, the prince. Thor. The prince and uh, the seven dwarfs. I don't think there's anyone else. And yeah. the raven. 
Oh, animal. So I just have I just have a lot of questions. Like, what exactly does Snow White do? Is she royalty? She cleans. Does she have royal blood? No, it does. It does say that she's a princess. Yeah, she's the princess, and the stepmother put her in rags so that she it would hide her beauty. Who does the queen think she's gonna get? Charming isn't gonna go with her. She's old, but she's also old. Uh, she, she doesn't <laughs> seem to be going for men. It's not her main priority, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not well, saying she that like, she's she like fine fine materials. She's more of a narcissist than a romantic. Uh, right, well, yeah. that's yeah, that's the whole point is that she's just... a femme fatale. She's so into herself that that's all that consumes her. She doesn't care about other people, other relationships. It's just I need to be the fairest in the land. Now, I think out of simplicity, because Walt did like strip this story down. We don't see the kingdom. We don't see you know other characters that aren't important because that's animation time and money which they didn't have. But yeah, yeah. she she's just focused on her and her beauty which hey she's pretty good looking apparently she beat out snow white for a long time but suddenly i mean okay she kind (laughs) of she kind of wears like a ninja mask like a ninja hood over her head yeah with like the heart-shaped like cut out (laughs) yeah she's got like the vegeta v the v part in the middle of her head you know looking at early uh character designs for the queen she had a lot of weight on her in early designs (laughs) as most most early queens did (laughs) it's true I will hey, say that was, that was a thing back. Then. It was a sign of money. <laughs> yeah, all right. I will say though that she has exquisite taste in thrones. I mean, it's got her throne is so cool. It's got like this coat of arms behind her head, and then surrounded by peacock feathers. Thinking, awesome. I want to know who designed that. Chelsea wants one. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Hey, fans, uh, Christmas is coming up. Do you know what Chelsea really like? Hey, let's start a Kickstarter. <laughs> Yay! Let's buy Chelsea a peacock. Build Chelsea a peacock throw. <laughs> 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 oh, awesome. man. Well, so uh, the, the throne you, is made you know of people pe- would donate to that. So the throne is made of peacock, you know, peacock feathers, because originally she was going to have like an animal. Uh, she still sort of has the raven, but she was going to have a panther representing her power. And then she was going to have a peacock representing her narcissism. But ultimately, they kind of did away with those characters. Um, and, but and so the peacock kind of remains in this form. So the the basically the big, uh, big kahuna, the big man in the queen's life is the me- magic mirror who she, uh, yeah. she has put on her wall and she summons him every day and, and, you know, asks the question, magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all? Okay, which is kind of interesting that in, in nowadays when they people say this phrase, they just say mirror, mirror on the wall. There's even a movie called Mirror, Mirror. But the, the original wording is magic mirror on the wall because it is a magic mirror. And um, actually the full name of this mirror is the slave in the mirror, which puts a whole yeah. nother dimension of backstory potential and possibilities. I yeah, mean, seriously. There's your sequel, Mason. <laughs> well, uh, well, more of a prequel, really, because uh, how did she acquire this mirror in the first place? How did the slave get stuck in the, the mirror? The slave get stuck in the mirror. Is he some kind of genie, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to punish you by giving you omniscient power <laughs> to know who is the hottest person in the world. Did the mirror just one day be like, all right, you're not the fairest one of all anymore. It's Snow White. <laughs> he was done. He's like, I you can't know? handle this anymore. <laughs> like, do you want Girl, I can't lie. <laughs> no, I feel that we have a conspiracy theory with the mirror. I think the mirror actually has ties to all sorts of Disney movies. I'm thinking Prince John's mirror in Robin Hood, the Beast's Hello. mirror in Beauty and the Beast. I, I have oh a feeling my. this is the same mirror because... 
Morgan, are you alluding that this could be the start of the time vortex? No, 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 no. I'm not at all. This is nothing with the time vortex, Chelsea. One time does vortex? not use the the term time vortex lightly. <laughs> I'm gonna get sued by Mason though. <laughs> this is a separate thing. This is the mirror when the Snow White story was said and done. He's like, well, I'm chilling here. I'm gonna go. It's sort of like you know the paintings in Harry Potter. He transfers himself from one mirror to another. He enchants the beast mirror, and um, you know, but he, he he's done telling people how good looking they are, and now he's like, oh, I'll be your portal. You know, show me the girl. And then, and then he goes back to Prince John, and he kind of goes back to the vanity thing. He's like, eh, I kind of miss it. This guy's really vain. You know, I'll join his mirror. <laughs> that, that mirror could, breaks. Uh, I'll join the little mirror he has. <laughs> oh, yeah. Think about it. Could he have, uh, could he have ties to Mulan's reflection? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> or Mufasa or, or uh, Simba's. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, yes. If you, if you pause the frames and you go frame by frame on the Blu-ray version, you can see him. <laughs> That's what he does. Anytime someone He's looks into, anytime he someone looks into a puddle of water, that's his goal. Is he uh, makes them see things that they want to see? He's always watching. <laughs> oh, slave in the mirror, love it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I think we've exhausted the mirror here. Poor guy. <laughs> He's always watching. And uh, and so Snow White is uh, is all raggedy, and so she feels like singing a song because of. So begins the singing because you feel like it um, motif in all of Disney. Um, love her singing voice. It's, I guess it's very 1930s, you know, it's very, you know, you know, that's what it sounds like to me. But she's like, she's like, today, and then today, here comes the prince. Well, he really knows how to creep up on a girl. Yeah, you know, that wouldn't be one to um, woo me, but she probably hasn't seen a guy in a long time. So, just like Briar Rose, she's excited. <laughs> a stranger. Male stranger. <laughs> Another theme. These these three main, like, original Disney fairy tales are, obviously, because they all come from the Grimm's story, so there's a bit of similarities and things that have been changed over the years. But, yeah, they a lot of similarities. <laughs> Such as, and after five minutes, they fell in love. <laughs> always. Always. Well, it's like she missed him at first because she's like, oh, a stranger. And he's like, but I can sing. And she's like, okay, I love you. Yeah, you know, very, very quick. Um, uh, these movies basically teach us that if you run away from a guy, they follow behind. But I'm going to say, in my experience, it wasn't always the case. We like, need a therapy session, Chelsea. Not today. <laughs> so this sequence was one of the very last that was designed and developed in the film. They like really had a hard time with the scene and like the pacing and the characters. Um, originally, like, it had, like, a more, like, casual, flirtatious banter between the two of them. You know, sort of like a romantic comedy nowadays. Oh, you! Um, they, <laughs> they, they cut that because they wanted a bit more innocence and charming romantic, which I'd, I'd say innocence is sort of one of the qualities that Snow yeah. White envelops, is this innocent... You know, she is supposed to be one of the younger princesses being only 14, so so that's that. Whoa. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know she was 14. Yeah, little... Uh-huh. Now the this the print guy uh, was apparently the hardest to animate uh, in the film. They almost exclusively used rotoscoping on him to match his movement. But that's okay because it kind of matches his personality and his presence in the film. I mean, he's only in two scenes. Yeah. Right. This guy's pretty mysterious. You know, whenever I want to know what Disney characters are doing with their free time, I always go to House of Mouse. This this uh, Prince Charming guy. He um, sorry, Prince Charming is the prince from Cinderella. Let's just say the prince. 
Um, he doesn't really do anything but sit with Snow White in the House of Mouse, so I, can't, I don't have anything there. Can't even get a definitive name on the guy. Um, let's see, there's Ferdinand, uh, but we've um, Walt Disney once used Florian. Uh, <laughs> but with, with Disney on ice, uh, his name on the uh, on the playbill is Florian. I'm, I'm like, what is that a Pokemon name? Um, and then uh, I've also in some archives you get the name Frederick. Uh, but we do have a confirmed name for his horse. His horse's name is Astor. That's from the Enchanted Stables book collection. And yes, they made a book series. Nice. Um, yeah, they actually invented horses for um, Jasmine and... Oh, come on. Oh. It's funny because you know how some of the horses look a little more naturalistic than others, you know? Yeah. Well, there's like Khan from Mulan. He's very mighty looking. And then there's kind of a normal looking horse like... A, um, Cinderella's horse. <laughs> like Cinderella's horse. And then there's... Um, and there's really goofy-looking horses like uh, like Prince Philip's horse, you know, <laughs> for an extra bushel apples. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's kind of funny to like compare IQs, I guess, on the looks on the outside. Anyway, some some horses are more dopey than others. Let's just say that. Nice, nice. Yeah, so like the, it's interesting because we don't see a lot of the prince because he was very hard to animate. And it makes sense now why he is such a non-existent character. They're like, yeah, boy's too hard. Can't do it. And so it just, just come in the beginning, come at the end, and you'll see it later. We'll give you your paycheck. But yeah, like that's one of the criticisms in this movie is that this is one of the weakest Disney princes. And it's, it's really their own <laughs> I'll fault. Say. Because uh, he just, uh, I, you know, I can't blame Disney for him nowadays having understood. It's like, well, it was a big deal to get that prince. It's really not their fault that he was so crappy. This was the first movie for heaven's sake but you know as a result legacy has has carried out <laughs> hey not not all masterpieces are perfect <laughs> so it, one of like the rejected sequences for this scene is she was snow white was going to make a scarecrow prince and he was going to have a bucket on his head and his name was prince buckethead very very clever um and then Whatever. the prince would arrive and it would startle Snow White and, because she would be singing to this. And then the prince's voice, he'd be standing behind this bucket and he would sing from behind the bucket and freak Snow White out. And she'd run away. Oh, and... that, that trickster. <laughs> so um, this very much reminds me of Giselle in Enchanted. She sort of makes her ideal prince, you know, with lips. That was a big deal, apparently. <laughs> well, it reminds me of Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. yeah. So... Or Howl's Moving Castle. Wasn't there like a prince? Oh, the scarecrow prince! <laughs> yeah, well. and then uh, they go with the they go with the whole tradition. Uh, you know, I'm feeling a certain way, therefore I'll sing about it. Apparently, Snow White knows that he's a prince, and I don't know if this personally isn't made very clear to me. But she knows that he's a prince, obviously, because he's dressed in prince apparel. Um, but he doesn't know hers, but he's still interested in her. So, my conundrum. So we, we talked about the reason why the prince left in other variations of the story, which was because he said, "I'm going to marry you at sunrise," and I'm. But first, I got to go tell my dad. So he goes and he tells the dad, and he comes back at the end. But there is no good reason for the prince's disappearance in this kidnapping. Is this important? Should we care? Well, well, it's I do. I care. He, he didn't do anything about the evil queen. Does he even care about her? He doesn't know she exists. Oh, uh, well. Uh, you know, it's probably a good thing he did disappear because uh, the, the uh, studio had plans to have the evil queen lock our prince up in a dungeon. And uh, they're you know kind of Prince Philip style, uh -huh. and there's gonna be a there's gonna be a thing with like dancing skeleton, you know, very like you know when the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, well, after seeing after watching uh, the skeleton dance, uh, the uh, silly symphony, yeah, uh, from 1929, I'm all in the Halloween mood, and I'm in the uh, grim grinning ghosts mood. 
Uh, and then I think, uh, how did he get out? I think the forest critters helped him get out, and they tell him directions to find Snow White, but they told him the long way around, uh, and he got there late. So it's, it, I'm glad they didn't go that route, because then it would have been like, okay, now the critters are to, bl- oh, to, are to blame. <laughs> right like the wind, Astor! <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it's it's interesting yeah. to see that some of these rejected uh, storylines and, de- and plot devices are actually used in Sleeping Beauty. It's like, well, we had a good thing going there, but yeah, let's just do it for the other movie. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then there, let's see, we've got our assassin, Ooh. the Huntsman. He's awesome. Yeah, he's no Chris Hemsworth, but he's still cool. <laughs> hey, nobody is as good as Chris Hemsworth, just saying. <laughs> well, what I like about him is that you sh- you know immediately that he doesn't want to be doing this evil deed. Um, originally, he was going to be this like sadistic, bloodthirsty killer who just like thrived in killing Snow White, um, or the ad- <laughs> idea of killing her. But then they, they toned it back, and I, I like that he's he's very sympathetic from the beginning. Like, you know, he doesn't want to do this. He's just sort of forced to. And then he's, he lets her go, um, which... Yeah, I, li- I like that. I like, a, like, you know, I like a character with conscience. And there's really interesting staging in the scene because instead of just showing him approaching her, there, there's like a, a bunch of cuts, you know, they show his face and then they show just the knife and they show Snow White and then it just keeps cutting back and forth. So it kind of creates that suspense without having to like directly, blandly showing us, yes, he's approaching her from behind. He's going to stab her now. <laughs> <laughs> Very Alfred Hitchcock, the way they staged it, I guess. Yeah. So this is the part that confuses me the most, the whole uh, scary forest thing. She freaks out. I think it, maybe it's because she's a 14-year-old girl. That definitely put an extra piece of the puzzle there. Or she because freaks. she just had a near, she, she just had a traumatic experience with the huntsman. Oh, uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what if you were 14 years old and uh, someone was like, oh, I was supposed to kill you because your caretaker hates you? She's like, Run. yeah, yeah, so? <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> oh, heck no, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, heck to the no. So this leads into a scene that's very, I want to say experimental in a way. It's much different than the rest of the film. Um, you know, there's, spooky. it's super spooky. And, you know, all these, you know, elements in the forest is transforming into things. There's the logs that look like alligators and the spindly trees oh, yeah. that are grabbing her. It's very, very very frightening, especially for children. And Walt, this whole time, he knew this isn't for children. I don't really care if they get scared. This isn't for children. This is for adult <laughs> entertainment. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure Snow he didn't White say is, it that way, but. <laughs> and Snow White is just, it's just shrieking like Faye Ray out there. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, like Marjorie, the girl who did all this, the live action work, she told a story about how at first they wanted her to wear this football helmet. And I'm sure they're talking about like the old time football helmets yes. and not like the current ones, obviously. Um, but so just picture that on this like young dancer girl and then, but she couldn't see through it. And so she kept running into things. And so they took that off, but she still had to run through this, like this whole trap they basically laid for her. That's going to like catch on things that she wears. And so as she's running, she's actually like running heads first, but she like is afraid of what's going on. Cause she's like, I've got nothing to block my face. Crap. <laughs> so it was yeah. a lot of those scenes and even moments are directly translated into the animated portion. So you yeah. get a lot of like action, spatial expressions like in there as well. 
Now, I make fun of Snow White for freaking out so much, but this this scene scared the heck out of me when I was a kid. I mean, trees with eyes. I mean, hello. <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know, she completely gives up and abandons all hope, and uh, the forest critters are, are coming up. So it's not they're not really bad guys. It was just forest critters the whole time. Aw, gotta love and, and then to get a, and then And then apparently she's like, it's okay to be scared, little critters. You know what you can do? You can sing a song. And I got the critters were like thinking... I know. I bet the critters were like, uh, lady, we came over here because we heard someone crashing around in the forest, just like screaming at nothing <laughs> and freaking out and flailing around their arms around with a lunatic. Are you okay? I think you need the song therapy right now. You guys sounded like Scuttle just then. <laughs> <laughs> Skull and Snow White should sing a duet. <laughs> Seriously, what would you think if you were like just a rabbit in the forest, like, hey, how's it going? Hey, did you see those blooms on the other side of the meadow? What the heck is that? And you just see this 14-year-old girl <laughs> in the middle of the forest. You know, because she's in like a death trance, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think it's kind of funny. I just put myself in the animal's uh, shoes, figuratively speaking, of course. Well, then they confront her because she's crying, she's crying, she's crying. And then, you know, they approach her and then they become friends. They're instant friends. Instant. You know, so it so it begins. Exactly. <laughs> Disney princesses shall ever rule over and be friends with the animals. Rule over the natural realm. So then the next part is she goes and she finds the cabin and immediately she realizes, oh, what dirty little children. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, says, you know what, we got to get this in ship, ship shape. So she starts singing and begins to sing Whistle While You Work, which is forever the song that people are going to be singing as they clean. <laughs> I still uh, sing it. Second to clean up, clean up everybody everywhere. That's true. That's true. <laughs> or, here we go, sing a happy little working song. Wait, what is that one? That's from Enchanted. Every, like, that's the thing about this movie. Like, every little bit of it, I just wanted to go back and watch Enchanted. I was like, oh, that's such a good movie. Yeah, well, we got the source material right well, here. Well, you know what's interesting is that by this point, we're already four songs in. Um, yeah. So they don't mess around. And those are all pretty, like, substantial songs. Um, so this, I like that there's so many songs in this film because they each sort of, like, have a purpose. Maybe not with a smile and a song, but that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And then so she kind of rounds them all up and, and teaches them teaches them some good basic work, that work ethic, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh-uh, not under the rug. Yeah. You know, this is a pretty funny scene because all the the character the animal characters they sort of have the comedic moments and this was something that they established very early on in the film that there's going to be comedy but it's not going to be done by any of the humans it's going to be done by animals or the dwarfs but not by snow white the queen or the prince or the huntsman very interesting they just they really wanted to keep those human elements very serious that you wouldn't you know that you would take them seriously um that you weren't just going to think they were a huge joke (laughs) rasputin so i thought i I never thought about that before, but I liked that way that they went about that. Yeah, yeah. Opposed to now, where it's just like everyone has to be funny, which isn't true. I mean, real life, especially in this scary situation, with that's if you think about Snow White, this is a pretty horrific situation. It's not funny. But anyway, uh, and then uh, we're introduced to none other than I ho, I ho, I ho, I ho, I ho. 
Well, it, actually, I, before that song, it's the um the dig 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 dig, 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 dig song. I love the dig dig song. <laughs> In a mine, the whole way through, we dig. Are y'all dig, excited dig, about the uh, the dwarfs uh, mine cart ride? Ah, should be pretty fun. I saw that as a, a special bonus feature on the Little Mermaid Blu-ray. Ah, very good. Uh, I've never been to Walt Disney World, so I'm excited for it. But I need to get there. I got to see the construction uh, part of the construction of it um in uh fantasy land when uh me and chan and my family went there over the summer it was cool they had like little peepholes that you could like actually look at the construction and and then um the walls around it were made up of the concept art for it and oh. so you could see like the literal storyboards um yeah you know you know what i really like about that ride though is that i feel like a lot of times these older movies are forgotten and they're getting rid of, you know, maybe Snow White's Scary Adventure or some of these older rides to make way for the new. And uh, yes. I'm excited to see that, you know, Snow White still has a presence in the parks and a new presence that they're doing something really cool. I mean, they could have done the big roller coaster or, you know, something about Tangled or something with Wreck-It Ralph, but they, they chose to go back to their roots. Obviously, this is Fantasyland, so they, they have slightly less to choose from, but I love that they are doing a Snow White updated ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. It'll be fun. So we're introduced to the dwarfs. We get to hear their names. Um, you know, we, we know the seven dwarfs, and these are forever the names that most people know the dwarfs as. But there were other names, uh, a few of them. Let me just, uh, just, just as I read them, just feel free to laugh because they are pretty funny. <laughs> I'm there's, laughing already. There's Weepy, Dirty, Cranky, hungry, lazy, wistful, blabby, dizzy, jumpy, awful, and we cannot forget about <laughs> Jeffy. Jeffy, <laughs> horrible. I mean, that, that that would have passed in the thirties, but I don't think now. Oh, that would have uh. been like, let's make the red man red. I mean, that's not going to fly <laughs> nowadays, or or even you know, Song of the South territory. I mean, and the thing is, he was one of the main characters up until a year before the movie <laughs> came out. I mean, Jeffy was uh. always in there. Oh, Deffy man. was going to oh, be yeah, Deffy. Well, well, well Dopey's kind of a mute, you know. Well, yeah, but but the interesting thing is that when when Deffy was part of the lineup, so was Dopey. So I think when ultimately, uh, I think Walt exercised very good judgment in that moment, and I think they took some of Deffy's qualities and infused them into Dopey uh, because he is mute. And I guess that's not the same thing as deaf, but he, he's missing yeah, one of his five good. senses. I still like Dizzy. I'm like, that sucks. He has like a consistent vertigo. He has just, he has like vertigo for the rest of his life. <laughs> also oh, known as Lucille too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, they, I, I picture sort of a Dizzy devil from Tiny Toon. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> chops through a brick, chops through a rock wall and finds all the, eats all the gems. Yeah. That's... I, like, uh, I like, I like Cranky. I don't know how they were going to fit both cranky and and uh and grumpy yeah i think those are in the same vein <laughs> blabby was uh, blabby's fun <laughs> makes he was probably of, the uh, doc makes me think of cranky kong from donkey kong uh-huh. now the uh the early gnome design the early sorry i say gnome because the early dwarf designs were very gnome-like like their whole face was covered in fur pointy pointy hats you know instead of like the link hats we see you know legend of zelda style um uh one important note is that the uh the uh, when when thinking of the dwarves like figuring out their characters and stuff, instead of working on just Grumpy and just 
and just drawing lots of photos of Grumpy. They drew pictures of Grumpy interacting with Snow White or interacting with another character. And so they kind of uh, focus on those possibilities of interaction to arrive at a character design. So that's important to, to know. When, I, when I'm designing characters, I, I tend to just draw like what they would look like over and over again until you get what I want. But I, I think it's interesting to focus on interaction to define a character's character. Mm-hmm. And can I just say that Grumpy is the best dwarf ever? <laughs> I mean, which what other dwarf is the subject of more Disney World t-shirts? Hey. You know? Tink is our inner diva, and Grumpy yeah. is our inner grump. Grump. <laughs> and it's okay. It's like when you're at Disney World, it's okay to be like, hey, I'm the cranky one in the group. Live with it. Well, I, grumpy. I like how um, I like how Doc is kind of the leader, but Grumpy um, Grumpy quickly takes control during a fearful situation. You know, he has a, he has the same answer for everything. Uh, oh, someone broke into our house. Witch! It's a witch. Someone clean. <laughs> someone cleaned our house. It's a witch. Someone ate us food. It's witch's brew. <laughs> Someone's in our bed. It's a witch. He must have had a bad experience with a witch at one point. <laughs> <laughs> he really must have. It's like. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, some of the, that dwarf prejudice, you know, from that old Tolkien stuff, you know, uh. it comes out and comes out in Snow White, you know. <laughs> hey, we got some we got some mail. It's a witch. It's a witch. <laughs> well, what I like about him is he's he has the biggest character arc of all the, the dwarfs, which is nice yeah. because originally he hates her. He wants nothing to do with her. He won't talk to her. He won't accept her. But he gets to that point where he defends her and he loves her and he he's you know he's the one who rallies the troops to save her and he's the one leading. Uh, so I think that's pretty. Cool. Are, you are strong, passionate, and loyal to a fault. <laughs> Sorry, I had to break out my master splinter there because he reminds me of Raphael. You know, cool but rude. <laughs> and Dopey is a party dude. <laughs> so they find Snow White. This is a really cool scene where they're like they're tiptoeing up and they. It's very suspenseful, and and they go in the room, and then it's, it's almost a ghost, um, you know. And well, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like oh, because she's under the bedsheet. But she's so like that's actually something out. in the studio that they it was like kind of a contest that they would do. That they it, you didn't have to be working on Snow White, but you could submit gags for different scenes. So everyone kind of knew the basic premise, and so they had tons and tons of people submit gags because if your gag made it into the final film. Um, you would get paid it, like a bonus. So of course everyone's like, "Awesome! Here, here's like here's 25 of my gags." A lot of them didn't get used, but um, as I was reading one of the the, the books, the Snow White art book, it definitely <laughs> showed some of these like versions that had been cut out that were gags. So I thought that was pretty exciting. And this was seen in kind of one of those, so they kind of reused this, but and uh, it, it was effective. So then Snow White tells them, you know, they introduce, they they're like, oh, cool, you know, you can stay with us, like you're awesome, except for Grumpy, like you're a witch. And she tells them to go wash because she's made dinner, and they're really excited. Yeah, and you, you think just washing your face and your hands would be a simple task, not for these dwarves. No, it's they're like four-year-olds. Again, like Olaf, I've compared him to a four-year-old. The dwarves are like four-year-olds in the fact are that— Are like seven four-year-olds. Yeah, in the fact that it's like, okay, uh, go wash your hands for dinner, and 20 minutes later, they're in the tub with bubbles, you know, naked. You're like, what the heck happened? All you had to do was wash your face. This escalated way too quickly. <laughs> Yeah. Anyone who's babysat knows. Yeah, I like how they get grumpy to wash. They just they just trick him. <laughs> and then they don't they like braid his beard and they like <laughs> make it fun of him. It's so funny, dude. And then you have Dopey in the background. I once had a magic eye book. You know you remember those magic eye things where you like cross your eyes and you be able to Oh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love those. So nineties. 
So I had one of those and it had all these different scenes from Disney. It was a specifically Disney one because I, you know, I got it at the Scholastic Book Fair that was going around town. I was pretty proud of myself. Oh, of course. And then, um, I got this, so I got this book and the one that had from this scene was uh, dopey and it had just all the bubbles going in a 3d form but i will say that it was probably the lamest of all of the pictures but it was still it was fun <laughs> that's pretty good so there's actually a deleted scene this is shown on um you know the, the bonus features and this is very people know about this scene um it was called the soup song in that um they get to dinner after they've washed up and they, you know it, it's as if this the washing song isn't enough now we're gonna do a song about how to eat soup or um, these these dwarves can't do anything for themselves. Well, because she gets they're like they're like expert Minecrafters, but they uh, hey, this is a pretty <laughs> this is a pretty good parallel. If you spend too much Minecrafting, then you don't know how to then you won't you'll never learn how to do things like proper hygiene and manner <laughs> table manners. Yeah. Well, so in this scene, what was going to happen is they get there and they start eating their soup and they're slurping their soup like crazy. And Snow White is like, oh, no, this can never be. And so she was going to sing a song teaching them how to, you know, eat their soup properly. Um, obviously, I can see how this was very redundant. And Walt, you know, while this was a great scene, he reluctantly cut it from the film because it didn't really serve like, the plot's purpose. It, it was obviously redundant from the scene that just happened. Um, and this scene, unfortunately, was mostly done by Ward Kimball. Uh, he was mm -hmm. in the studio, and this was kind of his job, and he worked on it a long time, and it was fully animated, or, you know, mostly animated, not not colored or anything, but, um, and then it got cut, and even to this day, I mean, well, he's not alive, but even to this day, he would always bring this scene up, and he was very bitter about it, and he always would talk, you know, how much he... He despised that his all his work had been cut. It's actually kind of sad, but that's just kind of the way it goes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. And so they're out partying all night, basically. You know? And then uh, and they, they go to sleep, and then uh, we're, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, what's, uh, what's the evil queen been doing this whole time? She's got that secret lair. I know. <laughs> oh, she so has this lair uh, where she brews up her magic potions, and then also this dungeon. Um, originally, you know, we see, like, a few of her, uh, her captives. You know, there's the guy... After she's turned into the witch, he's he's reaching through the bars and just the cuss the cup is just barely within his grasp. He's trying to reach for a drink, and that's one of my favorite lines when she's like, oh, yeah. "Thirsty, have a drink." I I definitely say that all the time um, at dinners, and it doesn't go over well. <laughs> <laughs> But so originally there, this was going to be like a more morbid scene. There was going to be a lot more skeletons and, and show that she was kind of this very sadistic person, but they kind of toned it down. Um, but I love, love, love the scene of her transformation. One of my favorite uh, scenes in the whole movie. Um, just, you know, as she, she drinks the cup and clutches her throat, the hair goes into the sky and then it pans around her as she's transforming. You know, you can see this as the lightning goes, there's a skeleton you can see as it flashes and you can see her bony, cripply hands. Um, a perfect and definitely inspired by the horror films of the time. Um, it even said that there was a version, a 1931 production of Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. Uh, oh, yeah. That was obviously a basis for this transformation, but I love it. It's it's so awesome. So, yeah, uh, I like her recipe for sleeping death. <laughs> um, see, this fits see. with our Halloween theme, right? Yeah, 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 it did. It did. It did. Um, 
there was a, a, a computer game, Disney Villains Revenge, uh, where uh, you, can, you can read up on the recipe for Sleeping Death. Let's see. Consists of Morpheus Greed, whatever that is, Sting of Scorpion, Dark of Night, Cactus Juice. <laughs> Just makes nice. you think of Rango. We got Cactus Juice. Um, Thunderbolt. Actually know, quite T- delicious. TM tw- uh, Trainer Machine 25. Um, you know, she like gets a little Pikachu out of a cage, you know, Pikachu, you Thunderbolt. <laughs> uh, and a green, green apple. Um, I thought the apple was red though. Well, it started out green, but then it goes to, it turns straight red. So basically she started out with an Annie or uh, Granny Smith. Then it turned into a red delicious. Ooh. Um, but honestly, neither of those would have tempted me. See, Fuji apples are the way to go for that one. And then for your, uh, for your very own disguise, uh, to go along with your poison apple, you need, uh, mummy dust, black of night, old hags cackle. And scream of fright, which I'm not going to do because it would bust the speakers. Um, so I like that. I like when she's, uh, you know, doing that. And, you know, they list up the apple and it's got that skull bubbles all over it, you know. Very good. Very good. So in this version, we, we talked earlier about the different versions of Snow White. The apple was always poisonous, um, where if she ate it, then she would die, literally. Um, and majority of the time, it just got lodged in her throat, and she'd Yikes. have to cop it up, and then she'd be okay. But in this one, uh, I don't know really why they made it so less sinister, but it's it just puts her into like a deathly sleep um, like a never-ending sleep, or the sleep of death, kind of. Yeah, uh, very sleeping s- death is what very it's much called. like Sleeping Beauty, but uh, it is what it is. So, so yeah, they uh, and then we're, there's another song. There's a lot of songs in this film. Um, the silly, silly song. I like uh, what is who is it? Doc or or Happy? You know, I'd like to dance and tap my feet, but they won't keep in rhythm. You see, I washed them both today, and I can't do nothing with them. <laughs> I was like, that's a lover. That's funny bullseye. <laughs> I like it. And there's some good old yodeling, huh, Chelsea? Uh huh. Yes, sir. That's good. Something like that. I can't. See, the thing is, they do it in the wrong key for me. So it's like, oh, oh not quite right over. there. <laughs> you modulate, you Chelsea. You modulate. <laughs> modulate. <laughs> You mean you can only yodel? Something like that, yeah. Wow, you mean you can only yodel in in one key? You know, like a harmonica? No, not really. Like, it's just, like, you have to, every person's voice has a breaking point. And so, like, when you go over that, like, it just depends on how you go over it. And so, you'll, like, in most... You're originally taught to like try and cover it up so it doesn't happen that way, but you know, I'm cool and you know, don't do that. <laughs> no, it's just when you, so when you jump from one register of your voice to the other, it, it'll have this little pop. And so it's like, it can only be within like four notes, really. Wow, the science of yodeling. Science of yodeling right there. Someday my prince will come, which has landed on the Pinterest, the phrase has landed on the Pinterest of every girl out there. Uh, who's single. Um, I don't even, maybe it's just the guy in me who skips over songs like this, but I don't even remember the song. When when does she sing it? She sings it right after the silly song. They want her to tell him a story, a true story about love. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so it just goes straight in after that and then it closes off, but, and then it goes into the witch making her a little apple. 
Okay, okay, okay. So, so then, you know, this, the next morning, there's the kissing scene where, you know, Snow White spontaneously says goodbye to everybody and then gives them a kiss. Some of these have, you know, some of these dwarfs have never experienced a kiss before in their life. Oh, this is oh, new. the rush. <laughs> the and thrills. Dopey. <laughs> My yeah. favorite is, like, because Dopey comes up and he's just, like, wanting straight for the lips, right? But yeah. she, like... Puts his head down, like twists his head. Nope, you're going down. <laughs> yeah, and then this is the moment where Grumpy, like really, I mean, he in a way becomes bashful because she, he's so against the kiss and she gives him a kiss and he kind of turns and he's like, whoa. like, And then he, he, his heart softens for Snow White in that moment. Aww. So then they go to work and she's going to, you know, prepare some delicious pies, gooseberry pies, which I'm still not quite sure what a gooseberry is. Um, you don't want to know. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Just kidding. She's making pies for them, and then up at the window approaches Scary Witch, uh, the queen, who has now disguised herself. <laughs> what a hag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. And then the forest critters are like, hey, hey, get away from her. Get away from her. And he's like, ah, freaking critters. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, Snow White, she's kind of dense in this, in this part. Like, does she not notice the vultures? You know, the vultures show up, you know something is wrong. Someone is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> well, show you your laughing, please. <laughs> yeah. And this is the apple. We know how this works, people. The apple. <laughs> well, the queen at this point Love plays with, with Snow White's emotions because she, she realizes, oh, well, the, all Snow White wants is romance. And you know, tr- your your what she promises that it will give her all her heart's desire, basically, right? Because when you're 15 and somebody tells you they love you, sorry, Whoa. <laughs> that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> sorry, it's been going through my head. Or ever since you guys talked about that, she was 14. I was like, oh, that's really young. Ah, oh, Taylor Swift moment. Sorry, <laughs> oh, I I didn't even recognize that that was. And so Snow White is like, yes, yes, I'll do it. And she eats it and just one bite, one bite. And, you know, she takes a bite and, you know, you don't see Snow White really fall. You just see, you hear it in the background and then her arm falls and hits the floor and the apple rolls away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another awesome, very chilling visual. Then that's it. The queen's like, okay, whatevs, my work is done. So she's kind of like hobbling All right, now I'm the hottest. (laughs) And then at this point, the critters turn all, you know, Toy Story 2 on us, and they run, and they they retrieve the dwarfs, and they race back, and they're riding the little deer and all the little animals, and they're leading the way, and they're chasing after the witch, and the witch realizes, oh, crap. So did the the witch have some sort of antidote, you know, whatever you drink, you know, oh, what's that thing on Harry Potter where you turn into someone? Polyjuice potion? Yeah, yeah. Does she have, like, her anti-polyjuice potion to turn back? Like, she didn't, wasn't that, like, running at, like, hobble speed? I was thinking... <laughs> or it, was, it, was it permanent, and it's like she was so obsessed with killing Snow White that she was willing to be ugly to do it, which is, which is totally illogic. That is a conundrum. Like, was she so willing to destroy Snow White that she would compromise her own beauty? Or well, did, it, Spock, did it just... Spock would have a heyday on that logic. <laughs> Or did it just wear away after some point, or was there an antidote? I'm really hoping she thought that one through. (laughs) Well, it doesn't really matter because, uh, you know, this is another beginning of a very common Disney motif, which is the villain falling to their death. (laughs) 
But not before getting slammed by a boulder, right? Is that what happens? Yeah. Don't basically. they like try to? Yeah. Basically. Well, she's like she has the little lever and she's trying to roll. Oh, the boulder. she's going to. Yeah. Yeah, and then it backfires on her and she loses her balance and trips and then the boulder falls and we assume it crushes her and then the very <laughs> ominous, you know, the vultures. Oh, the vultures just silently smile. float down. <laughs> They're like, well, we were expecting Snow White, but we'll take what we can get. Or or bend up with broomsticks while they they come out with the stretcher. <laughs> Where yeah. your friends? Where and... your friends to the bitter end? That's what friends. I'm just kidding. You just um, threw in every reference to vultures in this little. Oh, don't forget Nutsy got the got the safety here on <laughs> Betsy. Prominently, now I know why your mama called you Nutsy. Now, um, <laughs> and that. Yeah, that would have been the end, you know, because they they build the uh, glass glass and gold casket. Like, how did they do that? Master craftsmen. Pretty impressive that they just make that. And it's like kind of an Evita Peron kind of thing. They just want to preserve her without burying her. Right. That's cute. That's cute. I'm really glad they didn't bury her because uh, then she then she'd be dead. Then yeah, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, and 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 up rolls the prince, Prince Fentruck or whatever his name is. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, Fentrick was the name of the uh, foreign exchange student on Doug. <laughs> and he I comes didn't... up and he's like, oh, uh, what? A babe? I think I'll kiss her. Right? It was just weird. I Like, he just comes up and I'm like, first off, oh, okay. it, does, it does tell a little bit of the story as far as like, you know, word around, word got around that there was this young fair maiden who was sleeping, basically who was dead and they had a casket. I, I guess that would be enough of a reason to go like make sure that it's the same one like because maybe he's been looking for her but hasn't actually found her yet so that's probably that's what i'm saying is why he comes back or and why he finds her boy i bet her mouth was real stale (laughs) yeah um honey can i just put some chapstick on your lips first i wonder if the dwarves made her like a uh, like a a roadside attraction you know (laughs) step right up step right up come see the lady in the glass casket horrible why, why, why? They're industrious little, little guys. <laughs> oh, um, then, yeah, trust, uh, trust me, dude. My lips are magical. I will bring her back to life. And the dwarves are like, you know, we're still mourning here. That's really disrespectful. Yeah. Okay. You. This last year, the last like three years or so, they've put out a lot of movies about about Snow White. I mean, we had Mirror Mirror, um, and we also had, as we noted before, Snow White and the Huntsman. And I had never seen Snow Hide and the Huntsman, Huntsman, and so after this one, after I watched this, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go watch it. So I did. So I went and I saw it, and I thought that they did a good job at, like, putting it all together as far as why a certain person would try and kiss her, you know? Like, right, right. They did a good job with that. But in this, this original one, not so much. Like, he just comes up. Yeah, there's no there's no legend that's like, the true love's kiss will break the spell. Yeah. You know, follow the trail of the 40 thieves. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no prophecy. There's no uh, lore that explains it. Right. But... It's just universally known that true love's kiss kind of solves everything. Hey, you know what? If that's the, if that's the case... Never mind. (laughs) I'm always open for therapy, Chelsea. Now. Uh, Go ahead. And then they do the whole, the whole scene where they kiss and then she like blinks her eyes and like looks and is like, oh, 
you know, very, very sleeping beauty, you know. Yeah. And so that's kind of that's kind of the end, isn't it? And they just yeah. ride off. He puts her on his steed and they're like, all right, let's go make out. Yeah, they you know, the castle in the sky, the castle in the clouds. Oh, that's right. But you know what? Really is kind of awkward thinking. I just don't understand that one. Just, but hey, it's, it's just, good for uh, visual. Just, just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much it. The movie's got, got a, got a good, got a good structure, got a, got a kind of a fairy tale story. I always think that these old, like, films from the 30s, they worked a lot like, um, stage plays, you know, and that you have your cast of characters, you know, uh, very few extras. Snow White, we've, uh, we've seen on the, on the, uh, Disney Princess, uh, website, she looks pretty much unchanged. She doesn't have, like, a super updated look, you know? Right. Um, I think she remains the favorite of like little girls, you know, before they develop enough sass to be Esmeralda or before they, you know, I, I don't know, before they're independent enough to want to be like Jasmine, you know. Basically, any girl with jet black hair is going to love Snow White. That's just how it goes. Yeah, I guess so. I guess. <laughs> Honestly, I think that she has aged well, though. I mean, I still see you still see people dressed up as her. She's still got a great outfit. You know, it goes. It's it's the classic style. So I think along that side, I think she has aged well. Personally, she's not my she's not my favorite. I'm more of a of an Aurora girl. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> well, you don't have black hair. That's for sure. It's true. I've got the long blonde hair. So obviously I'm going to go for Aurora. Hello. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um yeah, she you know, she at first she seems kind of one dimensional, but she's you know, I think well as we've discovered in this recording, with the multiple animators working on Snow White, uh there are times when she's kinda sassy, you know. Kinda kinda sending the sass back to gr- grumpy, you know, when he's like folding his arm you know, yeah, yeah. crossing crossing his arms at her, she does the same thing to him. So there are parts where you kinda see her a little bit of her personality, but in the end I think she's just there's just a kind of a childlike innocence would be the best way to describe her. Yeah. And so I guess she's the patron princess of, of that. I mean, she's not, she's not bad. No. Why would, why would somebody say she's bad? Well, I, I just don't think she'd be the, like the favorite, favorite princess, you know, no, of no. she doesn't hold a candle to hold Rapunzel. No, especially nowadays. Yep. 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 All right. Well, yeah, so Snow White, everyone. I mean, hello, like so long ago. I mean, you know, within our lifetimes, it, it will be a hundred years since they since they made the film. That is that right there is the craziest thing to think about. I'm... So, what would you guys rate this movie? I'm gonna give it a four star rating. Ah, I love. I mean, it's just for the whole the classic nostalgia the classic feel the fact that it was the first so many fantastic parts of it it's obviously stood the test of time the fact that it's still around still one of those that everyone goes back to four stars woohoo i too give it four stars besides some uh you know kind of flat a few flat characters actually just one flat character and that's the prince it really is a a great film definitely a classic you know definitely you know not perfect but still a masterpiece four stars so I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Um, I, you know, I want to go in. This isn't one of the movies that I want to watch all the time. But when I do watch it, I really, really, really enjoy myself every time. And I kind of wonder, oh, why didn't I watch this sooner? Um, I think the reason I give it four and a half stars is because I enjoy the songs. I enjoy the narrative. And I the characters are significantly weaker. But, you know, Snow White is a product of her time and her generation. So I can't really fault her for that. And this was the first. I mean, so many things from here on out. This laid the, the basis and the foundation for so many other animated films and animated musicals and obviously the Disney tradition. 
And, you know, maybe I would give it four, but the fact that this was so revolutionary and groundbreaking and timeless uh, for what it did for animation itself, I mean, without Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, I really don't know where we would be with animation. It could have gone a completely different generation or direction, or it could have just pittered and died. I mean, who knows what animation could have been without Snow White. So for that reason, four and a half stars for its legacy and how fantastic of a film it was for 1937. Muy bien. Excelente. Joshua and Joshua says being the first American animated film it is one of the best ones made I don't really love this movie but my favorite line from Snow White is when she's coming into the dwarf's house such as what a cute little chair <laughs> he also goes on and says I hope you review Wall-E or Finding Nemo because I love Andrew Stanton and those films I want to know how you think of them also did you know that there was going to be made a sequel by Walt Disney as a short Named Snow White Returns. I'm surprised. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised that there were planned sequels that Tomb Di- that Disney Tomb Studios can do. Oh, also, Animation Fascination did a Snow White trivia for their 50th episode. Are you guys making a trivia segment soon? Because that would be awesome. Anyways, happy 50th, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do after this and the hundredth. The name's Queen, by the way, is Queen Grimhildi. Weird, but mean name, I guess. Joshua. Thank you, Joshua. Well, in Animation Fascination, they are friends of ours, and it's like, they've, they do kind of set the standard, and so it's like, yeah, at some point in time, maybe we'll do a trivia thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, real solid podcast, those guys. If we, if we end up having time, (laughs) we might, but hey, if you guys want to submit questions too, that's cool. Here is a voicemail that we just got about Snow White. Hello, Rotoscopers. It's Andre here from Bulawayo. Love that you are covering Snow White next week. In the early 60s, my school showed this classic, and I fell in love with Disney for the first time. I love the Seven Dwarfs for their clean humor and clever jokes. Through the years, animated movies have been the passion that my son and I share together. Though we have a preference for the classic 2D stuff over the current 3D wave. Tangled and, hope, and hopefully frozen being exceptions. What makes Snow really special is that without the giant success this form was, history may have seen the medium flounder in relative obscurity for much longer. Still a film we watch every couple of months, Walt clearly had a vision and pushed to see it burst. My mind is still astounded when I think of all the work involved in this type of production so many years ago. Keen to hear your next episode. Thanks for the quality podcast. Salibonani. I just I just love the fact that how international our fandom is. Yeah. Like I just think that that is the coolest thing ever. Love the interwebs. Thank you so much for your guys's posts and your emails and your voicemails you guys are awesome thanks once again uh, this one is from Gemma 
She says to Morgan, Chelsea, and Mason, I'm far too excited for you to talk about the one that started it all, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Being a huge Disney animation fan and scholar, yeah, I consider myself a scholar. Ooh, look at you. I love it when the, I love it when the podcasts I listen to talk about the classic Disney films in the canon. I would give my opinion on Snow White here in this email, but I've already written my thoughts on the film down elsewhere. Last year, I did a Disney-thon where I watched and gave my opinions on the 51 animated uh, Disney films at the time. On a Tumblr blog, I also reviewed a few Pixar films when I tried and failed to review all of them. I unfortunately didn't get to The Incredibles before I gave up. Aww. And I was planning to do a lot of marathons, Pixar-thon, Don Bluth-a-thon, the Ghibli-thon, but life has gotten in the way and I haven't been or will not be able to dedicate myself to these projects. Sad face. Here's the blog post where I talked about Snow White, and we'll have to uh, put that URL in the short show notes. So, yeah, awesome. A Disney-thon. That is something that even I have not accomplished. Yeah, I haven't. So, wow. Yeah, props to you, Gemma. And uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely put your uh, blog post, uh, your, your Tumblr posts on uh, the show notes so that people can uh, can reap the benefits of your Disney-thon. <laughs> Very cool. I, I kind of I, that'd be kind of fun to do one, but I just gosh, time just like goes away from you. Yeah. We've had another fantastic episode. I can't even believe we've got our semi centennial episode done with Snow White. Pretty incredible movie, and uh, we're glad to be part of this incredible podcast. Yay! Yay! And, uh, you know, and all the reviews, the news, the, uh, the voicemail, adding a voicemail, um, doing movie requests, that's all on our website. I think it's just rotoscopers.com, right? Either one works, but yeah, we're moving, we're shifting to just saying rotoscopers.com, but they both still work. So, uh, rotoscopers.com, it's got all our, all our news stories, all our opinion pieces, you know. It's a great way to, like, you know, comment on a news story and, uh, hear what other people have to say about it. There's also our YouTube channel. Uh, and then we've got our Twitters, you know, find Morgan at, uh, at Morgan Straddling, find Chelsea at Chelsea Robson, and then, uh, myself at, uh, Mason SMTX. We want to thank all our fans and listeners. Until next time. We are the Rotoscopers. By the way, I just remembered we had a tiger handheld. Uh, thing with the snow with Snow White in it. It was awesome. <laughs> nice. Um, one one level is where you have to dance with the dwarves. If you don't dance correctly, you get damaged. Ah, uh, precursor then, to Dance Dance Revolution. Yes, and then Dopey will trip you, and so if you dance in his direction, he will trip you and damage you. So you could, you know, they always make these Disney interactive games way more sinister than the movies were. So uh, yes, you can actually die by dancing in the video game. Well, the most satisfying thing was playing as Grumpy at the end and pushing the old witch off the cliff. Like, you literally push her off in the game. <laughs> so how, how did that weigh on Grumpy's conscience? <laughs> the witch, the watch, the, the witch, witch was watching the mirror. Oh, that's right. She goes, we'll come true. <gasps> and she looks up and the witch is like, Argh! you know, in her face. No, the witch isn't there yet. She's singing this. Oh. She's singing this with the dwarfs. Hello. Howdy. Okay. Hey. I don't know. I hear they're I hear they're gonna resurrect the um the severed head of Walt Disney, you know? <laughs> oh, out of that out of the cryo freeze that he's in. <laughs> oh you know? let's just move on to mailbag. Okay. Sorry, I'm just thinking of robot chicken. <laughs>
Ladies, you know I'm on the podcast too, Richie. I don't know what that means. Eh, whatever. That's what I wrote. That's me. Oh, I was like... because he's like, "Hey, ladies," and I'm like, Ahem. <laughs> "I'm not a lady." <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. We are the Rotoscopers. Yeah, I guess we'll have to do one with Morgan on it, even though she hasn't been talking for like the past fifteen minutes. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs>